I I was getting things like recording and, and not not a team player. Not a team player. Does not play well with others. I don't think you understand what being a team player is in this case when I'm when I'm when I'm setting up the uh, recording. Um. The guy who's not a team player telling the team that they understand what being a team player is. <laughs> <laughs> So he must be right. (laughs) I'm saying maybe you don't understand what not constituting a team player is. You know who the football team doesn't need? All the people making that. What? (laughs) All the people making the merchandise, all the people cleaning up the stadium, all the people organizing the games, the media the the coaches all these people are, are just unnecessary they're not being team players if they were in being a, team players they'd be out there on the field in a way that is that is true you don't actually need them for the for the game to take place that is true you need a bunch of guys in helmets a ball and someone Rage. to decide who's winning <laughs> <laughs> the referees, the referees. You need at least the referees. So, uh, people-wise, there's only like two kinds of people you need. <sighs> you, you can probably have a successful game with probably you know less than thirty people. They need to do that. They need to like, for, I don't know why. They need to have a reason because they can't just do it. It's like how it. TV shows will do like special all live episodes. Yes. To you know. They need to do a special episode, special game that's not broadcast. Nobody shows up to see it. You know, we love playing those huge. We love playing those huge stadiums, but man, you know, it doesn't get more intimate than you know playing in the coffee house. You know, with just a few of your 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 fans who're just there to watch the game. It's it's the NFL's version of MTV Unplugged. Exactly, that's what I was going for. That's exactly what it should be. They should do that. Yes, I'm for it. I ain't against it. <laughs> NFL acoustic. NFL, yes. Hello and welcome to the Chainsaw Buffet Podcast, the podcast that may be monitored or recorded for quality assurance purposes. I am John. I work in customer service. And <laughs> over in our billing and accounts department, we have Charlie. <laughs> You're all past due. You're going to jail. And in technical support, we have Dylan. Um, have you tried turning it off and turning it back on again? <laughs> <laughs> Great work by you. We, we hope to. You. We just hope to make your chainsaw buffet experience a pleasant experience. Your call is important to us, and it will be answered in the order in which it was received, which is one probably. Um, no, no, you never, you never give anybody one because you want to, you want it to at least seem like you're busy. So your number, uh, you're in queue. You'll be number seven. You're lucky number seven. Good for you. So this week, uh, there are a lot of 
interesting and important things going on in the world, uh, things about society that, that bear discussion. And uh, so as a result, we're going to talk about a several-year-old magical girl show and <laughs> some games by Nintendo and some other stuff. Um, and nothing about Ray Rice. Because, no. because fuck the Ravens. I was um, going to say, I was... I was thinking, like, you know, there there are both in the actual political arena and sort of the geek or gamer arena, a lot of things going on. But holy crap, they're so deep and so complicated that I, I don't really want to get into them. And I honestly don't want to learn much about them. <laughs> Deeper and darker than you can you possibly can, imagine. Please refrain from entering my mouth. Um, without asking. Right. <laughs> I mean that's just that's just common courtesy. So we, um, maybe we should go over that. Maybe we should go over common courtesy one of these days. With people. you know, I think that might help. I think that might help. With all, with all the crap going on in the world, maybe a course in common courtesy. Uh, I'm not know. sure anyone actually like it's it's some lost mystical knowledge that you know, um, Indiana Jones and the search for the book of common courtesy, like you know. <laughs> He'll dig it up, and the world will be like, "We haven't seen that in a century." <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm and the bad not guys necessarily sure the I'm the one to to lecture anyone in common courtesy. Wait, I guess the bad guys wouldn't be the Nazis. They might be. They, they're probably not looking for a book on common courtesy. No, they they they'd want to destroy it, but it it wouldn't have to be oh. something. It wouldn't have to be something as extreme as the Nazis, because that's kind of god winning a bit. It would have to be something like. I don't know. Um, what, name something that's really universally considered rude, not considered Sharks. rude to a certain group of people and considered like, you know, standing Sharks. up and being yourself to another. Sharks. Sharks? Sharks are really rude. Yes, they are. They just swim up on you and be like, I'm going to eat you. That's, that's rude. They don't ask. They it's don't really, ask. That's not really rude. The problem with the problem, of course, you have is that uh, Indiana Jones is if you if you have Indiana Jones fight anybody other than the Nazis, then it just seems wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, That's, sometimes look at, look at you, Crystal Skull. <laughs> well, no, he was fighting communists before that. If you count some of the video games, but and again, communists are almost as bad as Nazis in in sort of the Godwin sense, like you know. It's it's not common courtesy to compare the people you're arguing against to, you know, the worst um, regimes imaginable. So maybe 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 they shouldn't be the bad guys. Is is all I'm saying. Well, I'm just saying that in Indiana Jones, you Indiana with Indiana Jones, you may have like one of the few cases. Where it's not out of place, like it's, it's not, it's not Godwinning. It's just that's who he's supposed to be fighting. Okay, yeah. I, I, I'm not. I, I'm just saying that he may be. Any entrance may be an outlier in this in this arena. Can the title of this episode be Chainsaw Buffet in the Book of Common Courtesy? Yes. <laughs> and yes, the search for common courtesy. Yes, it can. Oh. Oh. Good. We don't actually have to come up with something like come up with something witty over the course. We've already got that checked off. We've already hit the high point. Let's cut it off. Go out on top. Good night, guys. No. <laughs>
We got a title. That's all we need. That's how we should time our episodes from now on. It's like, at what point in the podcast do we come up with the witty title? And that's where we end it. Oh, no. We'll probably, we'll probably go far, far longer than we should because that's... True. That's not common courtesy to our listeners. That's... It's just how we do. Yeah, we need to work on that. We need we need to you know take some time, have some uh, some moments of introspection, and <laughs> think about all the ways that we're fucking our listeners right now. Not any of the ways that they or we want. True, that that's factually correct. I'm staring um, at you, listener, Crystal Skull. <laughs> <laughs> crystal skull fucking uh, chainsaw buffet and the crystal skull fuck um <laughs> we'll have to save that one that's a that's a holiday sounding episode yeah. yep. isn't it though this episode maybe yes chainsaw buffet and the christmas skull fuck <laughs> uh, oh uh we were gonna and, talk about something yeah <laughs> dylan uh you know, we're, we're going to spend a lot of this episode catching up on old shit. Uh, you finished Wind Waker. What did you think? Um, it was interesting because I'd watched that episode of the Zelda episode of Sequelitis midway through. And it actually, it actually was interesting because as much as I gripe about newer Mario games and newer Zelda games, I actually did enjoy it. And it actually did feel a lot like um, older Zelda in the sense that um, it was kind of open world. I mean, it was mostly covered in water and a lot of dungeons and fights were just like the same backdrop with a different set of enemies. But um, I actually did enjoy it. And, and it did kind of have the exploration aspect once you got past the fact that it's not Nothing's going to be Mario 3 and and nothing's going to be um, a link Link to to the the past. past. And I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to move past that. I'm going (laughs) to, that it's me, Nintendo, it's me, it's not you. (laughs) It's, you know, that's. You're just going to go away and work on yourself for a little bit. I just, I just have to accept that. Um, I actually did really enjoy it. Um, And surprisingly, and this, this seems to be a common theme. Um, and this will probably lead into the couple of comments I was going to make about the, the sale that they're doing now. Um, I've griped about Nintendo for a while, but uh, I, I've not been giving them enough credit because you, you know, like you think the tablet is kind of a stupid idea and then you play a full adventure game with it, you know, right there where you can manage your items and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it just seems so natural. It's like playing a giant three. It's like having a giant 3DS as well as a s- screen. And actually, like having played, like I've I've played a little bit of Nintendo Land, uh, which I mainly got because it's got some multiplayer mini games. And I've played, um, and, and it does it does the um, um, asymmetrical thing well. Uh, Nintendo Land does. I've I've played. I'm trying to think. I think that's the only, those are the only two games that have used it, but the tablet actually makes a lot of difference. Hmm. And tablet was actually a good addition to Wind Waker. Um, so how did, it, how did it use the, the tablet exactly? Um, basically, your map, your items, and your the bottles you picked up were down there. Bottles oh. were actually surprising because I, I think I may have mentioned this before, but... 
it hooks into Miiverse. Um, and a lot of games seem to do this because I've noticed um, as I'm playing new Super Mario Brothers U, it does this where throughout, you know, like throughout the world, you'll find these bottles. And if you pick up a bottle, you get a Miiverse post. Um, and I, what's funny is if this was a normal social networking site, I would be like, this is stupid. This is the dumbest thing ever. But if you put it, if you put that message in a bottle that I have to pick up a little sparkly bottle, I'll go <laughs> like my gamer instincts will pick in, like kick in. And I'll be like, I've got to pick that up. You know, <laughs> completionism, you know, never mind that they're going to keep getting spawned. And it's actually, it's actually really interesting because, um, you know, people can send hints. They'll sit, they'll take pictures, um, with the camera in game and send like clever, you know, uh, uh, like clever captions for the photos or something. Hmm. And even the dumbest stuff is actually kind of entertaining though. And, and what's really neat is they'll send, um, if you take pictures of certain things, you can get figurines in this one area um, hmm. and they'll send these pictures around so that, you know, you can take the, the, the photo from the Miiverse post and, um, and get a figurine from it. So, you know, it's it's actually everything that I thought I would gripe about. I actually kind of enjoyed. Now, again, that's just um, one. That's <laughs> like one game on Wii U. So, I don't know if I'd get tired of these things um, re- after repeated games, but um, mm, probably not. Completionism. Right. But it, it was actually. Like I said, it you know once you get past the 3D thing, mm-hmm. you know as an a an old school 16-bit gamer, you're like nah, I can kind of see like there's some things I would have done differently. I would have cut so much of the tutorial mode where the ship is like you can't go there, go back to this other place. <laughs> I you know I, I think that's a lot of the problem because you know you play one of these newer Zelda games and as um, as pointed out in the sequelitis video, there's all these little things you have to do before the world really opens up. Um, but actually, you know, I've I've also started new Super Mario Brothers U. Mm-hmm. And again, as much as I gripe that nothing will ever be Mario 3 or Mario World again, you know, I can I can actually see like there's actually more of those games in new new Super Mario Brothers U than I thought there was. The trick is you have to play it alone. Oh. If you play it with four players, like we tried to play the original Super Mario, uh, New Super Mario Brothers, um, with four players. I think we were like John and Jeffrey. Maybe it was just three. Do you remember John? I think it was just the three of us. Okay. But, oh my God. Exactly. It is. <laughs> you know, it's it's the kind of thing that as a child you say, you know, it'd be awesome if we could play Mario Brothers at the same time instead of waiting for the other person to die. <laughs> and then, you know, when when you finally have it here in the future, you wish the other person would die. But again, that was us. <laughs> that was us starting out with the multiplayer mode. When you play single player, it's actually 
way more complicated or not not complicated, way more complex than Mario three or Mario World. Like there feels like there's more little oh look at you know there's this little secret place over here that you can discover, hmm. um, and and yet it also kind of helps you you out because if you die in the same place, a little block will appear that says, "Do you want you know help finishing this section?" Um, so actually, like you know, it's it's a little goofier. They're they're introducing characters that I just seemingly random. Uh, <laughs> But I'm I'm actually enjoying New Super Mario Brothers U as well. And what's crazy is um, Nintendo also uh, leading up to the release of Smash Brothers. Every week they're doing a different set of sales, and as much as we have griped about Nintendo not getting online, they've actually been pretty decent. Like I picked up Super Mario 3D World mm-hmm. because they undercut like. GameStop by, you know, the used, the used GameStop version by $15. Oh, wow. So, like, they're not getting into the PlayStation Plus, Xbox Live, you know, free games. Um, and they're not getting into, like, the Steam fire sales that just pushes down the, you know, drives down the cost of games. Mm. But it kind of feels like they get it. So... Cool. I don't know. I'm actually happy with the Wii U purchase, and I'm happy with uh, surprised surprised to be enjoying New Super Mario Brothers U, specifically because it calls back to uh, so many things from Mario Three. Um, surprised to enjoy uh, Wind Waker. So, and in the end, that's really all you want out of a system is to be able to say, you know what, I, I'm enjoying this. I, I don't regret this purchase. You know, in all seriousness, I kind of had to, you know, like, I think I had to get less into gaming than I was before I could enjoy that. Oh. Uh, well, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not playing a bunch of 360 games or whatever. I'm not even playing a lot of stuff on Steam. I'm, gotcha. You know, He's you an had, adult had to, now. Yes. You had to become a slightly more casual gamer. I had to not let it be like this end all be all. Everything is, you know, this is absolutely the most important thing. And you so, know. slightly more casual gamer. Yes. So you had, well, to, not, you had to become Nintendo's audience. Target. No, I don't even think I'm more casual in that sense. Like, it's not that these games aren't don't have their difficult moments. Um, even though at least Wind Waker wasn't particularly difficult. It's more that I don't take it so seriously to the point of like every game has to be, you know, the perfect game, you know. More accepting. More accepting. So slightly more casual gamer. Lowered expectations. Yes. Able able to enjoy more. Acquiring tastes is is more the way I would put it. Chainsaw Buffet, the Wind Waker podcast. <laughs> you've got to lower your expectations far enough to enjoy it. No, no, you've got to acquire the taste. Like you've 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 like played it for garbage. No, no, no. It's more like you've you've been tasting. You, you know, you've been drinking Coke your whole life. Um, and let's say that Coke is sixteen-bit um, games. They were really good, but they were just you know they were so good that that's all you. you 
if something wasn't sweet, you didn't want to taste it. And then you decide to try wine or beer, you know, like really good wine or really good beer. You're going to hate it, even though like critically. It's actually great. And you should expand your horizons. Um, you've just decided that, no, that is gross. It is not for me. I I kind of got lost in your metaphor. I'm I'm not I sure. I too. I'm too tired to be doing. This. And who's the wine and where's the beer? Um, um, I got confused. Sorry, everybody. I let you all down. I I don't know. I'm tired. I'm kind of lost as well in my own metaphor. Uh, and also, I think uh, some Nintendo games are on sale right now. Yes. Um, like I said, I picked up Mario 3D World. I think they've moved on to a bunch of Zelda games, F-Zero. Hmm. I can actually bring it up. I've got a web browser here in front of me. Uh, and, and Dylan, I know that Nintendo has always been reluctant to uh, accept new technology, but apparently you told me earlier this week uh, one of the new technologies that they're reticent to uh, adapt to is debit cards. Yes, I, I went to buy Super Mario 3D World, and uh, I uh, they're like, "Sorry, we can't use this type of uh, this type of card," but they put like fifty dollars on my, you know, like the fifty dollars I was trying to add to my account as a uh, as a hold, and I my my comments about Nintendo. And them getting online sales would have been much different um, before those charges dropped off. <laughs> hmm. Uh, um, but they're they're doing. Uh, let's see. F Zero, Fire Emblem Awakening, uh, Kid Icarus, uh, Sonic, a couple Mega Man games, and a bunch of Zelda games. Hmm. Strongly recommend Fire Emblem Awakening. I've I've enjoyed what I played of it so far. Yeah, it's it's it was okay, but I'm not really much of a um, tactical sort of game player. But it's still pretty good. Like even if you, I think I may have turned it to easy mode. Like you know, even if you're not into that sort of game, you can still kind of enjoy. You can get your money's worth out of it. Also, a game that you wouldn't be uh, interested in, but I am loving, is uh, Project X Zone, which is a tactical strategy slash action game featuring characters from like Namco and Sega and Capcom games, and it's just a colossal clusterfuck. And I enjoy it. <laughs> Wait, characters from other games? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah is this like a Super Robot Wars thing where there's like a uh, a, a loose reasoning for this all yes. to happen, but it's yes. really just because you want all the characters together. That is 100% <laughs> what is going on. That is, that is an accurate representation. The, the, the fighting mechanics are really cool though, because it's, it's a very actiony, but still simple, but still kind of complex um, system that they use and, and you can do combos and that sort of thing, but it's very basic stuff. But it's just, it's it's a perfect kind of 3ds game. It's it's great in chunks and that sort of thing. It's it's a lot of fun. Hmm. And it's a lot. It, it's very fan servicey. So you know if you're familiar enough with 
all the characters and everything. You're good. You're going to have a good time. Cool. Um, what are you playing that on? 3DS. 3DS. Yeah. Uh, they, they announced some, some new 3DS models. I think it was this week. They're doing actually like a- called the new 3DS and apparently going to have their own exclusive games. Oh, are you talking about the new like 3DS? The, not not the one with the C-Stick, but the, okay. the new versions of the current 3DS where they've got, oh. uh, you know, like the NES-themed one, and there's a Persona one, and the Smash Brothers one. Sorry, huh. I was confused by Nintendo's uh, poor naming conventions. <laughs> you mean, man, I'm telling you, Nintendo and Microsoft need to take a remedial class in naming <laughs> Xbox One is is it's stupid. It's stupid, <laughs> but it's, it's not as confusing as the new 3DS. Like no, I can no, forgive. The, the, I can forgive the Wii U. I can forgive the, the Xbox One. New 3DS. Is, new 3DS is not as bad as the 2DS. <laughs> which you know, you know what my my. Uh, completely two-dimensional DS was called. It was called a DS. Fucking fucks. Well, I think <laughs> I, I see why they call it that. I think what what's weird is one, when you say new 3DS, it's confusing enough. Just well, what do you mean? You know, is it a 3DS? Well, no, it's going to be using its own. It's going to have some exclusive games that you can't play on the regular 3DS because fragmentation worked so well for Android. No, I shouldn't say that because it's not the same thing. Um, but I just wonder what's going to happen when it comes to like the end of life for for that system where it's like, yeah, they announced the new 3DS, not the not the new 3DS, but like the new new 3DS. <laughs> the 4DS. This one's gonna, this one's going to generate smells. To be Ooh. to be fair, I had the same sort of confusion with the Vita. Like, so is it the PSP? No, it's a different. But it kind of is. But it kind of you know like. No, I'm I'm either getting old or they're getting confusing, maybe a little of both. Well both. the Vita the Vita was kind of a dumb name, but at least it wasn't as patently confusing as the Xbox One. Well yeah, that is which true. is what people were calling the original Xbox at, you know, since the three sixty. Which was also a stupid name because they're like, Oh, we we gotta make sure it has a three in there, so you know, nobody thinks we're inferior to Sony. Yeah, so fucking, so fucking dumb. Here's the thing: like, even even the Xbox One and the Wii U, like, I understand the console generations better than I do the handheld generations because there's always like these. And I know everyone gripes about backwards compati- compatibility, but it, it's almost like the backwards compatibility is what confuses me. Of like, you know, I don't know. <laughs> fun oh um dylan you wanted to talk a little bit about um cards against humanity yeah and, I, I, and that that is that's always a popular subject everybody loves this game so i'd lo- i'd love to hear what purely positive <laughs> things you have to say about uh, <laughs> oh this is gonna be uh, good no actually i i started writing this up because talked- no 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 go ahead go ahead we love you go ahead Cause I've, can I? Okay, cool. cool. <laughs> Just making sure no one was about to. 
Um, no, I think we've talked about this before in the, in the context of Cards Against Humanity at, you know, especially as it appears at cons and things like that. Um, and I've always kind of thought, well, you know, especially since I d- end up doing a lot of uh, card and board game recommendations for the podcast, like I ought to actually sit down and write out a segment for this. So... Um, I've kind of planned out four parts, this being the first part. Um, and I've actually, I've been blogging a lot of my, um, or writing out a lot of my uh, recommendations on random.dillonwolf.com. So all of these are there so far. Um, but essentially I want to write out like why I think, what I think can be done I don't want, maybe not can be done, but um, kind of good alternatives that hopefully people can start like suggesting in lieu of Cards Against Humanity. Because really, it's a good game, and but I think as as we've mentioned it in terms of cons, it tends to be the only game that gets you know a ton of of play. Um, like you can go into a con that doesn't have much of an analog gaming room and you'll still see a lot of people playing cards against humanity and mainly it's not, because it's a bunch of dumbass kids. Let's just it, be honest. I'm, I'm kind of, I, I do kind of think that's part of it and I, I kind of want to address that. Um, but the, I, I kind of want to start off the series by explaining why I think maybe, um, that's not a great thing. Like, I think it's a good game. um, in small doses and I've never really had a problem playing it with anyone, no matter, you know, your political, religious persuasion, race, sex, orientation, whatever. Um, and, and a lot of, and a lot of our griping, I think maybe a tendency to criticize it because it's kind of mainstream. Um, you know, as in it's popular with all the kids, mm. but, um, Really, what's I, I think what what's when we've mentioned that what's frustrated us is that um, there's a lot of people who get obsessed with it and just stop there, which is not really the game's fault. Um, it's just because it's really accessible. It's actually like its prevalence is due to actually a lot of good factors on its part. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of people to whom, you know, going into an analog or even a digital gaming room at a con is intimidating. And um, Cards Against Humanity kind of has um, this perfect storm of simplicity and humor and word of mouth popularity to the extent that, you know, I I think other th- things could follow that pattern if, you know, people kind of understood what made it, what makes it popular with different groups. Um, but it, it's, it's actually really unfortunate given that there's a pretty wide breadth of, um, what's out there in the social humorous and casual game genres. And really, I, I'd, I'd like to see gamers, uh, do more, uh, to kind of understand why people like these games or understand why people like games in general, as opposed to, or, or, understand why they what they don't like about games in general as opposed just to just saying a game is sucks or is awesome you know um i think we've we've probably had that discussion like we've 
played with people who have been really into it. Uh, really into Cards Against Humanity in a way that we just didn't quite understand. Like, why is Tasteful Sideboot the most awesome card? Like, um, <laughs> you know what I mean, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's great that you think this is awesome, but, you know, the unexamined gamer life is not worth living. Like, I don't know. No. Um, and, and that's the reason why, like, I think the next three segments, I'm going to try to break that down, what people may be liking about the game. But also, it just, I think this also bothers us when, when we've griped about before. It just doesn't seem like the sort of game that anyone should be consuming in large doses. Like, playing a lot of Cards Against Humanity is like eating nothing but ice cream for dinner every night you know like awesome yes you would think (laughs) but there's a reason you don't do it (laughs) you know you might want to to eat your eat your vegetables um it's it's one of those things that you know the people play it because of the shock value and it is funny i mean that's that's one of the reasons i think we enjoy it but it's one of those things where if you play it enough I get the sense that the ironic quote unquote perversity or racism or sexism or homophobia kind of becomes less and less ironic. Um, and I say that because basically cards against humanity seems to work because it creates this, I kind of hesitate to use the word safe space because that's often used in, in gaming and things like that to imply maybe the opposite of what Cards Against Humanity is doing. Um, (laughs) Like safe space being what a game creates so that the type of people who would laugh at Cards Against Humanity would not make fun of you. Um, But it sort of creates a space where players can laugh at these otherwise offensive things. Mm -hmm. Um, And in most cases, that's for the purposes of quote-unquote punching up. You know, um, making fun of the people who are doing the offending or countering the otherwise grim or depressing reality of these topics. The problem, and and again, I think this is kind of what we've griped about the dang kids who play a lot of this is. um, If that becomes too common, then the lines around that space kind of blur and leak out into the real world and you know, some of those things start to uh, be more comfortable and enter our lexicon and the shock value, which is, which is what is used to kind of punch up um, becomes weaker. Mm. Um, it's also one of those cases where anytime I have, there've been a couple times I've played the game with people I've just met or that's kind of their introduction. And there are moments you can tell that there's kind of a misunderstanding of what the conversational boundaries are. You know, like you can be racist when you're playing cards against humanity. Probably you're going to get weird looks if you do it outside of the game. (laughs) Or you should. You should. Now I've, I've actually had that. uh, I can think of one case where I, I had that happen where it was like, 
that would have been fine back when we were playing Cards Against Humanity, but we're playing a different uh, game now. Um, and I think I, I think that's interesting specifically because a lot of people play this with strangers at cons. Like, um, and as I was kind of writing this out and, and considering this, I'm not trying to say that it's a bad game, but the reason I wanted to do this as kind of a series is um, because I think it can be used as a gateway to other games and mm. a and that is a positive rather than an elimination of a negative. Um, other humor games allow you to broaden your understanding of humor beyond simple shock value. Other social games try allow you to try out different modes of social interaction like bluffing or diplomacy or teamwork. And just playing more games in general makes it easier to learn and expand your horizons. So... Um, I think over the next three episodes, um, I'm going to get specifically into the humorous, casual and social realms in tabletop gaming and kind of try to, to lay out like if you're, if you like cards against humanity for a certain reason and people like different games for different reasons, what you could maybe suggest to your group or, or put in your con um, in its place to kind of entice people to broaden their horizons. Cool. Excellent work by you. Uh, Charlie, <laughs> you yes. know, you know what, you know, what I could use right now. Hmm. A meat um. mountain in my mouth. You know, I think we all need a little meat mountain. And by and, little, and, I mean enormous. And I would like for you to give it to me, please. Fair enough. I would love nothing more than to put a uh, meat mountain in your mouth. Um, this, this, this little tidbit came courtesy of actually um, NPR's Sandwich Monday feature. Uh, you've, if you have an Arby's anywhere near you, you've probably seen the... Um, <laughs> Like the, their new advertising campaign, the like all the meats kind of thing, and apparently some people have taken them at their word on this, rather than realizing they're speaking hyperbole. And now there is an I I mean I don't know if, if you can get this at any Arby's, but there is a sort of off the menu item called the Meat Mountain, and. It contains roast beef, brisket, I think ham, turkey, bacon, maybe something I'm forgetting, fried chicken tenders, two kinds of cheese on a bun, and supposedly costs somewhere in the realm of ten dollars. Um, supposedly very good. I have not, I have not attempted. I only found out about it today, so I've not attempted to uh, order such a thing. And actually, the Arby's here in town is going to be closing to remodel soon, so it may be a while before I I get to uh, to attempt to uh, summit Meat Mountain. I the thing I love about Arby's new um, uh, new advertising campaign is is really twofold. Their their tagline for this is "We have the meats," mm-hmm. which I always amend mentally to "We have the meat sweats." <laughs> And two, it seems like they've embraced the Arby's model of just not giving a crap about nutrition. You know, like mm. they're actually going counter to not just like we have really good high quality sandwiches, but we have 
really good high quality sandwiches, they're also mostly meat. <laughs> and I seem to recall, and I could be wrong about this, but I, I like really want to recall like, back in Arby's early days, I, I seem to recall them touting themselves as like the more nutritious alternative or the, the slightly better for you alternative to all the burger places. It was always kind of the higher quality. And I think when they uh, introduced like the market fresh sandwiches, um, that was kind of where they were going. There was some hint of yeah. that. Even if they didn't say it outright, it was always implied. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I have to say though, the one thing I've always hated about the introduction of those market fresh sandwiches is prior to them doing that, Arby's, I guess maybe they were in more worse financial straits, and they would run some kick-ass sales. Oh, like, like the you, five for five? Yeah, you could get a ton yes. of sandwiches for like a buck a piece. I do and, remember I mean, that. And it was like their like their deluxe sandwiches, like the beef and cheddar, which I love. Um, and now they've just about priced themselves out of the point where I can go eat there and not like, oh, well, I could have gone to a real restaurant and spent the same money. Um, yeah, for me, it's always like, this is not healthy. There's no way I I can make this seem like it's better than going to a burger place. It is not. It is only nominally. So, yeah, that's a weird thing with fast food recently. Um, over the last few years, fast food prices have increased to the point where, you know, normally you could, you know, you could eat at a fast food restaurant for about five, maybe six bucks if you went uh, all out. Yeah. And now you're not getting out of there for less than like seven or eight. Yeah. And that's, Unless that's going depends. cheap. If, if you can, like, the only way I can usually um, talk myself into it is to utilize value or dollar menus. Though dollar menu, nobody calls them dollar menus anymore except maybe McDonald's because – of the major chains, I think they're the only one that has like a decent selection of items that are only a dollar. All of the actually, all the major chains that I can think of have some sort of menu like that, and I kind of wonder if it's like they're broadening their horizons. Like, um, it's like the dollar menu is going to cover the people who you know can't really afford to go eat out, mm-hmm. while expanding their markets up towards like the pricier, higher, classier items are going to try to lure some people away. I, I kind of wonder if that was also, you know, when the economy started to go south, if that's suddenly became the big option for them, because now suddenly more people who would be going to a sit down restaurant are going to be looking at fast food and going, eh, if I'm going to eat out, this is what I'm going to have to do. <laughs> Could be. Um, Although the only uh, an anomaly to me though, it, for one is um, Hardee's, which is more regional, I guess. But uh, also, or Carl's Jr. Depending on where yeah, you're at. But but Hardee's look a plain Hardee's because there's also like the Hardee's slash Red Burrito and yeah, whatever they call it. Um, Crimson Burrito would have been cooler, but uh, I wasn't in charge of that decision. Um, and I don't know if those are if those like have a seriously deliver seriously different menu selection. Like, have, have you seen Hardy's commercials though? If you use the word crimson, people are going to get confused because that seems to be too big a word for their target audience. It's I still I still support it, um, but no, they they do not have a value menu as such. No. Uh, 
which is all, which is why I pretty much don't have I have not eaten um, at a Hardee's in a very long time. But um, oh, but I actually did uh, have Arby's for dinner this evening, though. Uh, they I did too, actually. I did not. I ate at home. Well, then you were the smartest of the three of us. Uh, it was though pretty good. They they have now, um, which it actually in retrospect seems odd that they didn't come up with this a long, long time ago. Um, they now have gyros. Really, they do not yeah. have that here. Um, they've got well, and I think the one that's that's here in town is actually owned by a company in Chattanooga. Wait, did you say Hardee's or Arby's? Arby's. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, they do not have euros here, but that is awesome. They are actually surprisingly. There's like two for three, and they were really big. Now, if you get the one by itself, it's like four bucks. So it's again, it's outside of what I would order, except for a sale. Um, but I did give that a try as as well as like an apple cinnamon apple crisp. That was pretty good. But again, but at the end of it, like two people, and it cost like fourteen bucks, and that was really sandwich, baked potato. And then like two others, like the apple crisp and like one dollar thing off the dollar menu. So again, it's it's almost it's a little higher than what I want to spend for fast food. I, I do try to subsist if I'm going to go do fast food, subsist off off like value and dollar menus. But I've tried, I've tried to stay away from like Hardee's just because if I if I eat at Hardee's, I'm gonna eventually if I make that a habit, I'm eventually gonna get like the. 2000 plus calorie burger because I am, um, you know, because why wouldn't you? Why and, wouldn't I? And you'll become casually sexist. It's yes. The I will become of, casually it's the best sexist. of all possible worlds. Hardy's are like, they're almost as douchey as GoDaddy now. Like, although when just, was the last time you saw a GoDaddy commercial? Do they even still have that? I don't know. I've not seen one actually. I've not been watching a lot of TV, but I've not been, I've not seen either. one in, in quite a long time. It's, it's like, like I said, it, it feels like Arby's is going for the Hardee's route minus the douchiness. Hmm. Um, in their ads. I can see that. You know, I'm going to point out that awesome cast just recorded an episode about the mellow mushroom in Huntsville. We're talking about a restaurant. We're talking about fast food restaurants. We're going to get accused of copying them and not even copying them. Well, and it's because we went true. we went fast food instead of uh, what are they talking about melon mushroom for is that is that that's a because that started in chattanooga no, no it actually started in atlanta i think they said atlanta okay, okay. but they yeah, actually like the it was it was two students at was it georgia tech or like this is just i remember i'm not it even was in the seven wait, wait 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 was it are we talking about melon mushroom or momocon did justin stucky start melon mushroom too no, no was it was it? mellow mushroom and awesome. it was in the 70s because oh, they okay. had the same, oh, okay. they had the same thought. There were a couple in Huntsville, and they thought it was just like an Alabama thing. We thought it was an East Tennessee thing because I know they've got one up in uh, the Den of Iniquity, and maybe one or two in Knoxville. I, one in I, there's there's at least two in Knoxville. There's one in Farragut, and then there's one near UT. Yeah, yeah I, I, mean, have, I, I have actually eaten at the one in uh, in the Den of Iniquity, <laughs> and, and it's the service there is not stellar. Hello, because mushroom. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, some places it's, it's in the den of iniquity. So, and I've been to the one in Chattanooga. I don't care for it because the decor is like 
like Alice in Wonderland meets postmodern industrial. It's it's not attractive or settling in any way. It doesn't make one feel comfortable. Um, Mellow Mushroom, every, you know, so casual and so non-branded that you think it's local no matter where you live. True. Well, if you went to the one in Farragut, that would be your first thought. I mean, I guess that was probably all three of us, our first experience with Mellow Mushroom was probably the one in Farragut. Would that yeah, be? Uh, yeah, I think that would be fair. And that, and it seriously feels local. And that is still my absolute favorite mellow mushroom. I think the first one I'd heard about was the one in Chattanooga because when I lived in Athens, they used to talk about it on uh, uh, one, of the, one of the Chattanooga radio stations all the time. So, oh, and actually, yeah. I guess there's two of them in Chattanooga now because I forgot there's the old one like downtown, and the one I was talking about was up near, up in the north end of. Uh, of Chattanooga up near the Hamilton Place Mall. Why were they talking about Mellow Mushroom again? Did we answer that? I question? think because Doug wanted to. Which you is know, all the reason you need. I expect better from her. I expect discussions no. on tea and sake and here's and the thing. Culture and we just talked about art. I High brownness. Yeah, yeah, yeah but you know, we're talking about expectations here. Did, yeah. did anybody expect anything from us ever? Exactly. No. We we are talking about exactly what you would expect, which is also a Cards Against Humanity card. It is. Oh, Cards Against Humanity. You know what? I'm just going to go ahead and agree with you that it probably is a game best played on occasion. It, you do not want to binge, yes. binge on that because out of just personal experience... Um, Man, I'm backtracking. Uh, out That's of fine. personal I mean, experience, I've noticed that like the more I've played it, um, like the harder it is to really get me with it with with a card. Like yeah. it, you have to you have to really be like just inside my head or thinking way outside the box. I I, I think we may I think Charlie for me you may have hit the the pinnacle uh, when we played a couple oh. times ago. I was, I was, I mean, that was pure luck, but I was <laughs> so happy with it. It was so good. Um, but I don't know why I decided to backpedal all of a sudden to talk about Cards Against Humanity. That's fine. I basically wrote a bunch of notes and read them and didn't even know how to get into the note to reading the notes for the segment. So it was not exactly well done. I did not leave eh. a space for commentary. No, that's fine. Um, but I, I, I am, I am eager to see like what else you have to say over the, over the coming weeks. Probably uh, nothing you haven't heard before, but well, maybe, maybe and, not. And I, I do think that my, I came at writing this segment from the, this sort of like ivory tower perspective. Like if more of us, can you know explain what what other options are out there people will try them and they will expand their horizons and it'll be great and and they'll 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 branch out and they'll find more humor than just shock value and in reality no one cares <laughs> uh, i i, I kind of think you only ever have to like convince that one person i mean i think you kind of win at that i mean i think it's a success at that point um, yeah, because there is a lot out there, but I mean, I, but I, I do see Cards Against Humanity's value as a gateway drug. 
Yeah, it's not a bad thing. I, I think my problem is that it could be a gateway drug, but what it is is a destination. Like, oh, this is the cool... And, and to be fair, the same was kind of true of Werewolf. Um, and the same probably is still true of Werewolf. Um, but at least Werewolf is not like shock value, horrible, you know, like... Mm-hmm. You can play it a whole lot, and it's it's probably better for you than playing a bunch of cards against humanity. Let's be honest. I don't know, man. Werewolf always ends in me being lynched. Yeah, I... I, I um, because your sister does not know how the game is played. I, I think I, I will actually address that in future segments. Werewolf does not have a lot of structure, which means it's good for large groups, but there are better options. It's well, no, it's a good option if you're not playing with Devin. Let's just let's well, no, just I've, call I've it had what that, it is. Like I've had that happen in other groups with Werewolf, where the same person gets lynched, every, or not not lynched. The same person gets killed by the werewolves the first night, and so mm. he's just like out. And if he is ever in, then, um, then uh, you know it's it changes the game dynamic slightly. Because it probably means he's going to get lynched early because we suspect him. You know, so like the, the, the difficulty with werewolf, and I'm, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here, is that because there's no structure, people can get killed at random by the werewolves. There's no strategic thinking early on in the game that um, drives who you choose. There's also no strategic thinking in who you lynch the first night. It's just throw out accusations because you have nothing to go on. Um, and I think in some ways it's kind of one of those, you know, people play it for the lulls type of, type of games like Cards mm-hmm. Against Humanity in that sense. Um, it's not necessarily a bad game. It's just It's just so super random as opposed to, you know, it's a structure that you know people can build upon and do different things with mm-hmm. all right so i'm ready to get into this okay, okay. <sighs> taking a deep <laughs> breath i'm coming way late to the party on this but i'm uh, scared of what this is you already know what this is Oh, um, you, you know what this is. I do because I don't remember. I'm dumb. It's fine. It's <laughs> fine. Uh, so I find if you if you have a Netflix subscription or if you don't, oh, yeah. go to Netflix.com and uh, free for art, you know, exclusive to change all the Fay <laughs> listeners. You can get a 30 day free trial. Uh, may not be exclusive to change all the Fay listeners. Um, but it probably maybe is. Yeah, I mean, if you're listening to this, it works. I mean, so, you know. Exclusive as far as you're aware. Yeah. But right now, they have uh, Madoka Magica as part of their anime selection. And the show's been out for a few years now. I don't remember the exact year it came out. And I didn't do a, a ton of research before, before the podcast because I just finished watching it today. But the thing that originally got me to watch it was, and I don't even remember how long ago 
this was related to me. I don't remember if I read it, if somebody said it to me, what the particular context was or anything. But I remembered uh, it being conveyed to me that Madoka Magica was the Evangelion of Magical Girl shows. And of course, to me, that can mean a lot of different things. It can mean it's just, you know, very well done. It could mean that it's weird for no apparent reason. <laughs> um, you know, it it has a lot of different meanings for me personally. But uh, as as I read a little bit more about it, you know, I heard it was it was supposed to be very uh, subversive of the magical girl genre. And of course, I, I've never watched a magical girl show from start to finish. I've seen episodes of Sailor Moon. I've seen episodes of like Card Captor Sakura when it was on the WB or something. I think crazy. <laughs> it was a. It was like a four kids adaptation. Um. So you know it was, but. Good. I, I watched it. I watched the first episode maybe a week or two ago. And I think I saw an episode at AWA like maybe two or three years ago. But since they had the dub on Netflix, I'm like, okay, I'll 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 jump in. I'll I'll see what you know. As as I often do with popular shows, I'll go, okay, I'll see what all the fuss is about. And the first episode was kind of slow. But when they finally got to the part with the magical girls, you know, the, the part where the magical girl, the first magical girl shows up in the show, I go, okay, yeah, these enemies are kind of weird. Uh, they have curly mustaches. I'm going <laughs> to make yipes jokes and shit like that. And I go, okay, sure, I'll sign on for another episode. But I never get around to watching the next episode because I think I just watched it while I had like approximately 30, you know, 20 to 30 minutes of downtime and then didn't go, you know, right back to it. So uh, I, I popped a Netflix trial because, uh, you know, I have access to those because Shane Selbuffet has connections and all that. It's true. And last night. I'm like, oh, you know, I look at the episodes, I go, oh, there's only 12 episodes. So I can probably knock, you know, about half the show out because it was eight o'clock at night or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting there thinking, I can probably knock out half the show before I have to go to bed. Huge mistake by me because uh, <laughs> I watched the first eight episodes. Well, I'd already seen the first episode, but I watched the subsequent seven episodes. So I got through episode eight before I went to bed. Awful, awful decision by me. This is not the kind of show you want to watch right before bed. Really? Um, yeah, really. So, going back to the prism through which I, I obviously view all anime. Um, I'm, try, I, I, I'm joking, but kind of not really, but <laughs> kind of joking. Um, but when Evangelion came out in 95, uh, it, its influence was felt a couple of years later as a lot of shows tried to copy the show wholesale. Um, or they tried to copy parts of it. You know, they, they tried to latch on to one particular thing. And as with, as with anything of influence, any type of medium, you know, you have, you know, near imitations, you have things that, you know, it, it gradually grows to, to just a more nuanced, um, inspiration or, or, you know, an element of, or it just becomes so commonplace because, you know, as, as time goes on, that, that impact 
becomes less and less felt and it just becomes more part of the medium as a whole. So in in more recent years, it's harder to talk about Evangelion as an influential factor because you can't necessarily point to it anymore because there are so many other shows that, that use the some of those elements. Mm. Um, and, and to be fair, there are shows that use those same elements before Evangelion. That's just how it goes. But the thing that makes it most like Evangelion is the way in which it is subversive. Because in the way that Evangelion was a show that was supposed, you know, it, it's a giant robot show. So you think it's about kids getting into giant robots and kicking, uh, you know, kicking the shit out of stuff. <laughs> but it was really about somebody who didn't want to be inside of the robot for various reasons. And the show is more about his own inner turmoil and his interpersonal struggles and that sort of thing. Mm. And the subversive part was people were coming in wanting to see these promised epic, you know, giant robot fights. And when they happened, they were, they were always very well done, but that was never the point of the show. It was all just window dressing for what was essentially a psychodrama. Hmm. And Madoka Magica is a magical girl show in which you go into the last episode not knowing if the main character is actually going to become a magical girl. Wow. Yes. Um, that is really the the beauty of, of the show because they subvert it in such a way and it's it's so innocuous at first. It's so... It, and and that's that's what a good subversion show will do. Um, it it knows what your expectations are. It sets those expectations early and then slowly sort of degrades them. Um, and it's it's difficult to explain without spoiling some of it. And I really kind of it's the kind of thing where I really want people to go into it knowing as little as possible because it's it's a better experience that way. But in order to talk about it, I have to at least explain it in some sort of terms that are relatable, that people can understand what I'm talking about. Essentially, as opposed to, you know, a show where the magical girl, the whole transformation, all that bit and, and fighting evil, that's the whole point. Mm-hmm. Um, it, they, they add an element to it where becoming a magical girl is more of a Faustian deal. Hmm. Um, where they they tend to focus more on the risk that's associated with taking on that kind of power. And there's the obvious risk of uh, combat and, and fighting these creatures and, and possibly dying in combat. But then there's other... There are other things that are hinted at uh, in the way that the characters who are the that are already magical girls uh, speak, the terms in which they speak about it uh, to one another, that hint that something else is going on, and over time you find out, you know, more and more about what this particular bargain entails. Because in in the context of the show, uh, there is a creature that you know turns these girls into magical girls. And in exchange for, you know, fighting these monsters, this creature has the capability to grant one wish. And it can be uh, virtually anything. And supposedly the 
the the bigger the wish, the stronger the wish, uh, the stronger the magical girl resulting from it. But then there are other things that are a part of this process that that you learn and it, it kind of paints the pic- the picture of the show as it really is. Um, hmm. One of the things I really enjoy about this show, uh, I was talking to Dylan earlier today after I'd finished it. And the thing with Evangelion is Evangelion kind of doesn't care about the giant robots and the angels and the fighting and all that stuff. It it was never about that to begin with. It was always about Shinji. And people were confused and sort of turned off by that. You know, they want, even though they could realize it was going in in a different direction, um, they're still sort of holding on to certain expectations within the genre. They wanted the outward conflicts to be resolved. They didn't care about the inner conflicts, which were mm-hmm. actually what, you know, the, the last two episodes are built around, uh, resolving instead of any sort of external issues. Um, Monica Magica is, sort of evolutionary in that respect in that I felt like the story was very well thought out from start to finish. And they did a excellent job of making sure to take great care in how it introduced certain elements and how it hinted at certain elements and how those elements were ultimately explained. So by the time I got to the end of uh, the series and I got to the last scene at the end, which uh, hints at you know where where the story goes from there, because I know there there's at least one movie that that's come out since then, but it all felt very well orchestrated. Um, it felt it, at no point did I see something where it, and this is something we talk about with shonen shows all the time, where somewhere along the line somebody realizes, oh hey, I like money. And you can feel the story yeah. start to change. Um, and, and, and like I said, that's my current fear with Attack on Titan, that that, that might happen to it. Um, but that's certainly something that's happened to other shonen shows in the past. But Monica Magica, it feels like it was it, at least the closed circuit in which the story in the TV series exists uh, was so well thought out that when it came time to actually, you know, put the show into into production, they knew exactly what steps they were taking. And while there's stuff that's left open at the end, it's stuff that is extraneous from the main story, if that makes sense. Hmm. Yeah. I think the way you explained it to me was they, they kind of, the impression I got was that they got, they understood the mechanics of this world. They weren't just making it up as they went along, which is interesting because that's something that used to bother me with a lot of shows and stuff. And at some point I just had to realize that there's a right and wrong way to do that. And a lot of the shows that I really enjoyed did it in ways that seem stupid but overall, it helped the the overall storyline. 
Yeah, it it absolutely has all of its mechanics uh, in play. They knew exactly how everything worked and where they were going with it. Which, like you uh, said, something like Evangelion doesn't necessarily have because that's not the point. Yeah, it was it was never the point to begin with. It was just it was just window dressing to rope you into this other story. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I guess the the um, the comparison there, and I just thought of this, is it's like. I liked Battlestar Galactica because of the drama. The fact that the Cylons didn't work consistently and they had no overall plan for it bugged me. But you know what bugged me more? Watching them try to retcon that in the plan. You leave it open, you know, like like with Evangelion. The more you try to explain it, the, just the less good it gets. <laughs> well, I, I mm. feel like with Evangelion it's a slightly different thing because I don't feel like... Well, yeah. I mean, uh, the 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 movies. It, they're not trying to least, explain it, but I I feel like um, I feel like the movies are are like even more subversive in their own way, um, because End of Evangelion is sort of you know people are clamoring for you know this external resolution of conflicts. and it's done in such a way that it satisfies no one, <laughs> and then they do the rebuild movies and you know, the first movie is a pretty straightforward, uh, remake of, you know, the first part of the TV series. And then the second movie goes along those same lines for a little while and then goes off course. And then the third movie, the third movie that the way that the first and second movies set things up, I felt like I had a grasp on where they were going in the third movie. And I'm starting to think that they were just subverting that expectation when they made the third movie. Because <laughs> the third movie is so fucking just, I don't understand it. And I wish Funimation would go ahead and release the Blu-ray so I could watch it 20 more times and try and wrap my head around it. But it, it just, it, it went so far against what my expectations were that... You know, like uh, like I said when I first said it, it was the most Evangelion scene, uh, the most Evangelion thing I had watched in years. It was <laughs> it was so bizarre and so unexpected. Um, so, like I said, I, th- I think it's subversive in a slightly different kind of way. In that, um, Anno is is fucking with the fucking with the audience now. You know more so than yeah. it's fucking. Genre. The, the people who want all the window dressing to be explained because they need that. You know, they need an origin story. They need a prequel. They need a sequel that explains how everything all wrapped up neatly. You know, when the whole point is the drama. Yeah. Um, which actually, I mean that. That's kind of why one of the things that I is making me want to watch Madoka Magica. One was it's it's twelve episodes. Two is yeah, that if, if you skip past the opening and closing sequences, you can probably knock this show out in like four hours. That's one or two settings, depending on your uh, viewing habits and preferences. Yeah, mm. but um, th- that and it just I, I like the fact that you don't know if she's ever going to become a magical girl because that kind of subverts the trope of that a lot of you know magical girl fighting guy anime has that is the main character is super special and super powerful and you know, he or she can do anything. 
Well, well even even the opening, it, you know, sort of uh, sets that expectation because you know, in the opening you see her in you know a magical girl outfit and that sort of thing, and uh, the, even the opening is subversive. I I enjoy it because it's it's just it's like yeah they they're really fucking with you the entire time. Yeah, um, it's it's such a really good show though. It's my I want to go out and say I want to go out and buy it now, but that presents a problem because I, I, did, I the bit of research I did do before the podcast was I found out who uh, who has the rights to it. Mm-hmm. It's it's Aniplex who prices stuff like it's two thousand and two. Uh, so the U.S. release is on three separate Blu-rays. Again, for a twelve-episode series, you could probably you know put that onto one or two. But it's on three separate individual disc releases, priced on right stuff right now for forty dollars each. So that's that's some straight up uh, Sam Goody Camelot, uh, you know, mall store prices right there. Wow! In two thousand fourteen. Um, Remember buying anime at Best Buy? Hell, even at Best Buy, I can buy anime for fifty bucks. You know, full series on Blu-ray. This is this is dumbass shit, man. I, <laughs> I mean, Aniflex, well, at least uh, it's on streaming, though. So it is, it is. But I really want to buy it so I can do panels on it and stuff for next year when I do like seventy-two Evangelion panels. That I submit, <laughs> and you know, one of them gets accepted. And, Ooh, I like that strategy. I'm 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 gonna submit so many, uh, but that's that's one I want to do. I like I like the idea that you know, in case they don't go for it, what I'll do is I'll just submit fifty. All I have to have is a one in fifty acceptance rate. It's true. Wow. That's two. That's two percent. That's two percent. All it takes is one. Um, it's a good plan. I'm a fan. Anyway, yeah, uh, ten out of ten would recommend. It's on Netflix. Sub door dub, your preference. Um, yeah, yeah just just go. <laughs> and also, uh, if you have a PS3 or a uh, Vita, ostensibly, go and <laughs> here's 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 a here's a mini recommendation. Go. And uh, buy Mega Man X4, and if you really want to, Mega Man X5 uh, for the PlayStation Network. I I own both of those games. I own physical copies. I've had a physical copy of Mega Man X4 for 17 years. Hand to God. I know where it is. It takes me five minutes to find it, you know, <laughs> and, and be playing it. I still halfway kind of want to throw the six bucks at, Cap- at Capcom and be like, you know what? Here's a tip. The funny thing is, it's kind of like $6 for a game like that. And I've, I've seen this like on the, the Nintendo console and Steam. It's such a weird feeling because it's like, well, it's not much. But at the same time, it's still quite a bit. It's not like 2 or $3. So. Yeah. True. So. I, th- I think my media, uh, yeah, my 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 compromise here is I'm just going to tell everybody else to buy it because it would be stupid for me to buy it because it would, you know, I could be playing it five minutes from now. <laughs> I, I again, 
I tend to not just buy stuff like I did for a while on Geo, like goodoldgames.com, GOG.com. I would buy old games like that, but yeah, because what are the odds you're going to sit down and play it again on the PS3? Uh, Truth. If I had a Vita, I'd pro- that would probably be an auto buy for me, though. I mean, real talk. <laughs> I would just, I would just be like, okay, yeah, here's six bucks. I'll, I'll play this on a on a Vita. It's fine. Real talk, real talk. Uh, so does does anybody else uh, have anything else they want to they want to bring up? No, no, I don't think so. All right. Well, uh, everybody, thanks for listening. Uh, we'll we'll be back soon. In the meantime, peace be with you and also with Cube. Who? It's, it, it's a Malika Magica thing. Oh. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs>